And so we wanted professionals to be able to help veterans access better information, better options, while being held accountable. Welcome to the Vet VA Podcast. My name is Nathan Nottingham, joined by my co-host and partner, Christopher Griffith, where we're going to talk about all things VA home loan benefit. Where we take a few minutes to teach, train, and educate you on the factors that should inform some of the biggest choices you'll ever make. Tonight, with Josh Lewis and three other distinguished VetaVA professionals, we're diving deep into the initial steps of home buying for our veterans. Look, we know how vital it is for our heroes to have a place they call home, but where does one start? How do you navigate the maze of prerequisites and approvals? More importantly, what is this certificate of eligibility and why is it the cornerstone of the entire process? We'll unravel these queries and more with our panel of experts, including Nathan, Elena, James, and Josh. They're here to empower you, guide you, and ensure your journey is smooth and comprehensible. Whether you're a veteran or just curious about the process, this episode promises valuable insights for all. So buckle up and get ready to be informed, inspired, and enlightened. Welcome back, everybody. It is Tuesday, and this is Vetted VA Live. For the second week in a row here, I'm joined by only loan officers. Our, our realtor friends must be very, very busy finishing up the uh, summer buying season. Um, but we'll get them back in here and, and get some insights from the real estate side of it. But tonight, I have a great crew. Uh, we've got Nathan Einkorn here on the top row with me. And Nathan, you're in Parker, Colorado? Uh, yeah, just, just north of Parker. Perfect. And I've got James Mercado in Wisconsin. Um, as you can see by that big helmet and little helmet back there, he's an angry Badger fan uh, <laughs> and hoping for redemption. We don't know if that's going to come or not. We'll talk about that again in a few weeks. And then Elena, you are in Reno? Yes. So we've got uh, a lot of the, the Western U.S. here. And then James, you actually cover the, the majority of the Midwest is where you... Correct. Yes. We're in 20 states, so... Perfect. Well, tonight what we're talking about is where do you get started? You're a veteran, you're wanting to buy a home, you're wanting to get pre-approved. What does that process look like? So we're going to start off with a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and it sounds so basic and fundamental that you couldn't imagine anyone starting anywhere else. Um, but it's shocking how often we see this not being the starting point. Nathan, why don't you talk a little bit about, about the certificate of eligibility, how much we cannot overstate its importance and how uh, a veteran should go about getting it and what they will learn by getting it in their hands. Uh, I mean, essentially, it's the most important document of the entire transaction for the most part, because without it, you're not taking any more steps further. Um, the veterans can get it from WebLGY. Uh, they can get it from, now I'm drawing a blank. Can someone help me out? They have the... Uh, Oh, isn't there another the e benefits? E benefits. Sorry, that's yeah. a, <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Um, but it lets us know whether or not you're eligible for the loan. It lets us know whether or not you're exempt from the funding fee. It lets us know how much entitlement you've used, if you've used any, how much is remaining. Um, it gives us uh, pretty much all the information that we need to begin on one, whether or not you're eligible, but two, lets us know how to structure the loan. Is it your first usage? Is it subsequent use? Um, right, right. That affects the funding fee. The the Disability rating affects whether or not, you, or I'm sorry, the disability rating also affects whether or not you have the funding fee. So it's just, it's the most important document that we get from the very beginning, because if you don't have it and you're not eligible, I've spoken to veterans that are like, yep, hey, no, I, I got out. I, I want to use my uh, my VA loan. And unfortunately, uh, they may have been National Guard and they did five years. And it was not during any of the, you know, when Title 10 or any of the, uh, you know, active uh, uh, engagements were going on. So, you know, they weren't eligible. And it's just, you know, it sucks to deliver that news, but uh, it does happen. So we, we got to have it. Besides the guards and reserves, what do you guys see as some of the, the other situations where someone is either not eligible or has a hard time getting that certificate of eligibility? I know older veterans, the records were not quite as good. Um, they could be very eligible, but if it's not something that the, the VA can put their hands on quickly, there can be some research and some time there. So besides reservists, National Guardsmen, any and, and people who maybe served 40, 50 years ago, 
Um, even even 30, 35 years ago, some of those records just aren't quite as available. Any other scenarios that you guys are seeing that can make it a little bit difficult to, to get your well, hands the on thing, videos, really? Josh, the thing that I've noticed is there are, you know, there's a lot of loan officers in this country, and a lot of them are say, yeah, I do VA loans. And then they go through the whole process with the veteran. They get them all excited. They get an accepted offer. And then they never pull that certificate of eligibility to find out that they are six months short of qualifying. That's negligence on the loan officer's part. That's one of the things I love about the Veta VA community is the arduous training, the intensity behind this. A Veta VA loan officer knows better. That's cardinal sin number one, but it's very common in the marketplace. So it's really, I just want to Anyone who's listening, be very careful. That's the, one of the safeties of working inside vetted VA because this is 101, but too many loan officers make this mistake. Elena, how often do you see a, a veteran borrower come to you, certificate of eligibility in hand, where they've already crossed that off uh, off their list of things to do? Is it more common that they come to you and already have it, or they're looking to you to hop into WebLGY and look it up for them? I would say about 10% of my borrowers come in having their certificate in hand, which is great. And a lot of it has been um, borrowers that have learned how to get their hands on it through education that they have picked up in the vetted VA group, which is wonderful and shows that the education we're providing and the information we're giving is really doing its job. Um, because really, you know, we can help pull things for veterans all day long, but really teaching them how to do it themselves is the ultimate goal because that really empowers them to check out their own information and feel good about what they're seeing. Absolutely. I and mean, it's cool that, that we can do it. It really it doesn't take much time at all. It's a couple of minutes, you throw a few pieces of information in after you log in and go through all of the rigmarole of, of getting logged in and proving your ID. But it's something that we can get our hands on quickly. It's something the veteran can get their, their hands on quickly. And you just cannot be overstated how important it is to the process. There's really no point in going much further with the VA pre-approval without knocking that out because 95 times out of 100, it's a non-event and we one of us has it in about five minutes or we don't have it. And there's that process of maybe we have to provide the DD-214 and it takes two, three, four, five days. Maybe we need a revision to it, but it's either going to be real easy and we're going to have it real quick or we know we've got an issue and there's some work to to be done but from there once we have a veteran that has an idea that they want to buy a house they want to get pre-approved and they have their certificate of eligibility or you've gotten it for them james what would be your your next step at that point or what would you advise a veteran considering buying a home where should they go from there the next step is you want to talk to somebody who is an expert in VA loans because just because they say they do them doesn't mean they understand them because they are complicated, they're wonderful, and they're beautiful. So when you talk to some, you get yourself into alignment with that person, they're going to help you to establish a budget. Even if you're not looking to buy right away, you just want to understand, you could do this a year in advance to sit down with somebody who is a vetted VA expert who can go through a budget with you, who can outline the details with you. They can walk you through the process and just educate you. I like to tell the people that call that I talk with, we're going to give you the syllabus and we're going to lay this out. This is like a college class. This is the next 16 weeks. And I'm going to go shallow at first. So you hear all this stuff. And then as you go through the process, then we're going to go deep one at a time. It's super important that you're in alignment with somebody who's an expert who can help you walk through that. We actually have a really good question here. And before before we answer the question, I forgot when we kicked off the show, the most important thing that we can do here tonight is answer your questions. So if you're watching at home, you have a question, either about tonight's topic, how we get started, getting a certificate of eligibility, anything mortgage and real estate related, anything VA, non-VA, anything around housing and real estate, we're happy to answer for you tonight. So throw your question over here in the comments and we'll get to them. But on this topic, um, one of the viewers in the Facebook group says, is it ever too early to get your certificate of eligibility? Can it expire? What, what does that look like for us as lenders, uh, Elena? Let's say someone thought they wanted to do this at the beginning of the year. New Year's resolution was to buy a house. They got a COE in January. Is it ever a problem for, for us? Do we need to go back in and, and get an updated COE? Yeah, it's always a good idea to keep your documents current. It's just the same as when somebody provides us pay stubs and maybe they don't buy for three, four months. You want to get all those documents updated and make sure there's no changes going on. Because a lot of times, especially I'll notice that a borrower or a veteran could have applied for benefits and then, you know, they've been awarded to them. So if things have changed, it's really a good idea 
I always use uh, 90 days as a good even keel rule for all paperwork. So if you carry on past that 90 day time frame, it's a good idea to update everything. And that, that is a really good point. So as a veteran, you know, hey, I didn't go buy a new home. So say you did pull it in January. I didn't buy a home. Nothing's changed. The data still is valid there. But from the lender's perspective, they don't know that. So they want something more recent to make sure that you didn't go and use that entitlement. But to your point there, the you could have a, a disability rating uh, in process and any number of things can change. So we absolutely do want to get the latest and greatest once we're really in process and, and ready to go but still doesn't change the fact that we can get them at a moment's notice. We can get an updated one. So if you want to pull it every couple of months, it's not like they're putting a limitation on you there in in the system. So we have a a couple of really good questions here. um, And I think they're going to be better when we get a little bit further into it. So if you posted your question, we're absolutely going to get to them, but wanted to kind of go through it. So let's talk about, you know, James, you had mentioned that it's really it's never too uh, never too early to talk to a lender, to talk to a realtor, to someone who has expertise in that process. And I, it's it's funny to me that people always think um, I'm sure you guys have heard a version of this. Someone says, "Well, I have some questions, but I don't want to waste your time because I'm not going to do this until next year." The reality you know what I is think of that, Josh. I always tell people we're open tomorrow and we're open next year. I've been doing this for a long time. Ask now because I want to educate you and empower you to make the best financial decision you can make. And that decision might not be for another year from now. And we'll still be here in a year from now. A hundred percent. And that person may intend on doing it next week, but it may end up being next year. They may intend on doing it next week, but we go through some stuff and find out, hey, you know what? It's not the reality right now. We got a couple things we got to clear up. And the biggest thing that I see is people put off and delay that conversation and go, I'm not ready yet. And now they're ready. They start the conversation and they find out they are not not ready. ready. And they they should have picked up that conversation earlier, right? and, And it's not only that, especially with the market that we've been in lately. Right. I mean, these past four years have been nutty. Right. For those of us that have been around, you know, I started in 2004. So been through some up and down markets Um, being prepared, even if you know, hey, it's next year. I don't know how many times. I mean, I know all of us have experienced this. You have a client I'm going to buy next February. Cool. Let's go through the steps. So we, we tell them the same thing. Let's go the steps. Make sure you're qualified. Make sure there's no roadblocks. Make sure there's no surprises coming up. Make sure not. So you're completely and totally ready. So next February, when you're going to buy, we're good to go. And then that borrower calls you four weeks later because they found the house they want. <laughs> right. And it's, and it, it's, that's a, that's a great thing, but it's, it's always one of those. I always tell everybody, every, once you get approved, once you get, once you start the process, everything moves so much faster than a lot of people usually think, because I, you know, most, when they say they're going to buy in a year, sometimes it's because they don't, they feel like they need another year before they're going to qualify. Right. And, I love delivering that news. When you call them back, you're like, oh, well, you're good to go. You can, you know, you can buy a house tomorrow if you want to. Like, we're, we're ready. And, you know, that's awesome. I love the borrowers that are planning a year ahead in advance. That's, I mean, that's the best way to do it. But like we were talking earlier, my first piece of advice is the second you know you want to buy a house, find a pro, right? Find, and this is whether you're a veteran or active duty, find a pro, find, if you know, go, go to the map and, and get started right now. Don't worry. The credit pool, I mean, I know a lot of people that that's like this big thing right now. And actually, it's become a bigger thing for us as lenders recently, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's money, cost, lots of money. Yeah, now that they cost 85 bucks a pop, it's like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't know, we can wait. But some borrowers are always concerned about that. And I always want to tell them like, hey, a credit check, a hard pull on your credit is not at the end. It's not going to tank your credit for you, right? It's probably going to cost you, what do they say, three to eight points, depending on how strong your credit, the stronger the credit, the less it's going to hurt. But you need to know. And that credit pool is the only way to know for certain. And if you're buying in a year, don't worry, you're going to recoup those points in time for a year from now. Um, because I always want to, it's, it's not always about like, why, you know, when should you get started and you should get started as soon as possible. But I think like, one thing that we, I don't see a lot of the questions in the group. Um, and it's something I'm always answering is like, everybody's worried about the expiration of the approval or the credit check, or, you know what I mean? Like so many different changes. And it's like, if we can get those things out of the way first, be like, Hey, the credit check's not that bad. Yes. Your, your COE, we do want to update it. You know, 
uh, I'm with Elena every 90 days is a good practice. And specifically, right, we just had this happen where we had a COE that didn't show the exemption, but the borrower had just gotten it, right? So we actually had to get the underwriter, God bless their hearts, wanted us to go back and get the COE updated, even though they had already been receiving their disability payment, but they wanted an updated COE that had that exemption on it. So it's like those, there's all these little things that can pop up. So the earlier you can get started, the earlier that you can get with a pro, it just it makes the whole process easier for everyone. And Nathan, I wanted to circle back to the the credit report. The credit reports, you don't want a hard pull. We don't want to spend 80 to to $100 for something that's going to have to be done again. But the soft pull credit reports, that's been one of the reactions within the industry behind the scenes for us, is we can get a much better soft pull than what they looked like a year or two ago. You can get all three bureaus. You can get a credit score that's pretty darn close to accurate. And the, the benefit to that is you're not having the hard inquiry if you know it's going to be six to 12 months away. And we can still get the valid, accurate information of seeing what all the accounts are and what's being reported. Because I don't know about you guys, but I see people all the time that they're like, I didn't even know about that, whether it's a spouse who didn't bother to tell them that they opened up another account. um, Or I had one here, it was actually this was a different situation, but a tenant in one of my rental properties, we're looking at it. And I'm like, I see all your student loans. And then you have this crazy student loan over here that has been late for the last three years. He's like, what are you talking about? So that's that's not uncommon that people have things in their reports that they are not aware of. And if we can do that well ahead of time, whether it's with a soft pull, whether it's you going to annual credit report and pulling your own, never too early to look at that and see what the bureaus have for information. If there's anything erroneous, anything in there that needs to be corrected, anything that we can fix or update. Because on the VA side, you know, a 640 credit score is going to get you a good rate. 680 is going to get you close to, if not the best rate. Most people can get that within a six to twelve month time frame if they're if they're focused on it. So if we're not there, you have all of that time to work. So that is a, a really good part of that upfront consultation that you can have as early as you want to. Have it 18 months, have it 24 months ahead of time. Get a game plan. Check in with your realtor, your lender every six months. They're going to be happy to have a future client who is relying on them and trusting them for advice. So I kind of also wanted to circle back on this one, guys. Vetted VA is not the only source of expert realtors and lenders, but what I can say is you guys know, especially in a market where volume is way down, all realtors, all mortgage people have less business than they had two, three years ago. So people are really quick to say, yes, I can help you veteran. I I know that. I know all of the things that you need to think and and be concerned with. I had a call. It's actually a vetted VA call that someone went to the map, found me earlier and and called and said, well, we had got referred by a friend and they've used this person a couple of times. They've referred them. We look up the reviews. They have great reviews. And from the conversation, you could tell really quickly, they probably did do a lot of business, but they don't do a lot of VA business. And that truly is important. There's nothing Uh, Like there's nothing in the guidelines or the rules of doing VA loans or helping as a realtor, a veteran buy that is like rocket science, that it's above the normal person. There's just a lot of nuances and detail that you could have done loans for 20 years. And if you've never done a VA loan, this stuff is Greek and totally foreign to you. So as you are vetting your people, if you don't go to the map and find someone that vetted VA is vetted, you need to vet them. How many VA loans have you done in the last six months, in the last two years? Because there's just a lot of moving parts and things that they need to be aware of to be able to help you to the best. Anything else that you guys um, w- would like people to know about yeah, I would selecting like their team of pros? Because I'm very passionate about this. So the thing, the reason I'm a member of Vetted VA is accountability. So there is accountability amongst our peers. There is an, a level of expertise required to some of the most diff- – I have an MBA. Some of the most difficult exams I have ever taken in my life was just to have the honor and privilege to speak to a veteran who's a member of Vetted VA. So what we go through just to do this is a whole nother level than most loan officers ever know about. So that would deem us to be experts in the handbook and the manual because the level of qualifications and the tests that are taken for anybody to become a moderator in this group is second to none. It is un. I don't think a lot of our members understand what we go through just to get into and answer questions for our veterans. Chris and Nathan are very 
crazily passionate about accurate details, making sure that we trust, but we verify, making sure that when we talk, we do it according to the manual and the handbook. So when a veteran calls a vet a VA, and there's accountability if something goes wrong. Like we manage each other as a group and we're peers. I don't work for Josh. Nathan doesn't work for me. We're peers. And we say, hey, you're wrong, bro. This is where we're at. Look at page 67 in the manual. That is the differentiating factor between us and any other group out there is our level of training and qualifications just to get inside of this group. Let's use some of that training and knowledge here to answer a question. We had a really good one here. Should one apply for a VA loan prior to submitting their request for retirement from active duty? Um, either one of you gentlemen want to give your advice on that one? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and the answer is yes. Um, you know, how, when are you going to be retiring? How far is your detachment going to be is, you know, cause um, it's not always some people request and they're out three months later. Some people request and it's 18 months later. Um, if you're going to be, we need to know how long you're going to be in the service remaining. And then what's going to be happening when you retire, are you going to be living off of pension, right? Are you going to be living off of, are you going to be going to work somewhere? What, what job are you going to be going into? Is it going to be related and have any relation to your MOS? Like there's, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked. So, I mean, the, the answer to me is the same as when should you apply right now? <laughs> when should you ask right now, right now? Um, should you apply? Yes. I mean, it, and it's not even a matter of, of even an application necessarily at that point, but you should at, the, at a minimum get on the phone with a VA broker, right? With a VA lender that, knows what they're doing that can guide you through, ask the different questions that they need to ask, get the information that they need so we can properly uh, inform you or educate you on what your next steps are and, and whether or not, you know, you're going to be able to qualify because we, we've had this a lot where once again, you know, client calls, Hey, I just detached, right? I just, I just left the military. I'm retired. I'm applying for my disability rating, right? They're going through all these other steps. Okay, great. Do you have a job line. No, but I'm going to receive this and I'm going to receive that. And it's, you're going to receive these things. Now we can go off of, right. We can go to uh, the, the website and see what their retirement is going to be, but we got to have the information, right. One of the biggest things with, especially with disability um, until that is finalized, we can't use it. Right. Even if you know with hundred percent certainty, nope, they told me I'm going to be hundred percent. This is how much I'm going to get until it's official, until we see it on that COE. We, we can't use it. So if you know you're going to retire, contact as soon as possible. I actually just was doing a loan for a client that they're literally detaching next November, right? They're retiring next November. It's already set. So what do we got to do? They have a job lined up. They have, you know, they're going to work and it's totally different field, totally unrelated to their to the 20 years that they've done in the Navy. Um, and guess what? Oh, yeah, we can get you done because you have a year left. We got to close. He knows his he knows his date. I think it's November 26th or something along those lines. I'm like, we have to close and fund by November 25th, and you're good to go. <laughs> Which and, Nathan, as you said earlier, it gets you ahead of any potential problems. Because when you're getting out of the military and your family's looking to settle and say, okay, we're no longer PCS, and this is where my kids are going to finish school or whatever it is, this allows you to get ahead of any potential problems that can be that you might not even be aware of. It doesn't cost anything to talk to a better VA professional. That's free advice to help educate you and empower you to make the best financial decisions. So sooner than later, exactly what Nathan and Josh said earlier, I completely agree with that. And a really important part of that, as I was listening to Nathan, it reminds me, you, you are the author of your story. We are the editor. We will package that as cleanly as possible to tell the story that will get your loan approved with the best terms possible. But we can only do that if you lay out the entire story. So it never is helpful to withhold information or think maybe we can get something through. So in this situation, if you have a separation date that you know is coming up, you know those things, it will come up. And it's not just related to separation. Any issue in your file, like the technology today available to underwriters to go through and find things out, it is never in your best interest to withhold information. Let's lay all of our cards out on the table, and then we're going to figure out the best hand to play to get you what you want. But without that information, it's like they're throwing grenades at us when we're trying to cross the finish line, and it's not a whole lot of fun for you or for us. 
I tell people it's attorney-client privilege. I'm your attorney. Tell me everything, and then I can package it and get it before the judge. Okay. So the underwriter is the judge. I just need to know it all. Yeah, yeah. That that you cannot understate uh, that. So with that, if we have someone, they have certificate of eligibility, they found their pros, they've started the conversation. Something that I like to go through with all of my borrowers, FHA, conventional, jumbo included, but I think it's of special importance with VA loans. The unique feature of the VA loan is we don't when we have an automated approval, we don't really have a hard set maximum debt to income ratio. So people come to us and they want to say, hey, I need to know what I can afford. With the VA loan, that's dangerous. We can probably, if you have good credit, qualify you for far more than you could comfortably afford, which leads me back to saying, what have we done budget-wise so that you have a strong feeling of what you're comfortable with in a monthly payment. And now let's find that middle ground between what can you qualify for and what can you afford? How do you guys approach that budgeting conversation with your borrowers and, and how can they leverage that through this process of getting prepared to buy? Yeah. So I will tell you that I tell people you spend your money hundreds at a time, not thousands at a time. So let's just take a look at the reality of what daycare costs. Let's take a look at reality of this, that, the other, and let's put together a budget. And then I may say you qualify for this. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I would, I can't afford that payment. Put on paper, you can, you know? And you may say like, I want to spend this. I'm like, sorry, you can't afford that. So we need to talk through the details of just daily life. And I like to get granular, like, hey, let's talk about groceries are out of control. You go to the grocery store, everything's so expensive. If you got teenage boys, they each got a house and home these days, you know? So I like to go through a very detailed budget and just talk about life things. Like, you know, maybe in your faith, you give money to certain organizations. Well, the VA doesn't count that against you, but in real life, it counts. So how, what's your disposable income? Let's look at that. And then we're going to set up a budget. And I'm going to tell you what the ceiling is. And once you know what the ceiling is, you don't have to go there, but if your spouse finds their dream house and I tell you you're here and you're like, hey, can I do this? I'm like, and remember, here's the ceiling. Now you know if you just stay under the ceiling so you don't hit your head. That's how I go through it. Nathan, how about you? Essentially, it's the same. I mean, I always tell everybody, you know, the same, the same kind of story is that three months after you close on your home, you're not going to remember a lot about your loan. You're not going to remember. Some people don't remember the interest rate they got. But I'll tell you what every single borrower remembers their monthly payment. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it's it, it's it, that's the budgeting conversation is like, how much are you comfortable paying? Like, I understand you because you're right. I don't know how many times. How many times have you talked to a veteran? And you're like, well, you're qualified for one point two million. And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's like, well, you wanted to know what you were qualified for. Yeah. Now let's now let's bring it back. And that's, you know, we just we reverse engineer it. And just bring it. OK, where, where do you want your payment to be? What payment are you comfortable with? Because sometimes, I mean, I've had conversations with clients where they're like, I cannot afford, I mean, $2,200 a month, that is it. And I'm like, well, you're not going to live in Highland Ranch, right? Or you're not, that, that neighborhood you told me you wanted to be in, it, it, I mean, here's here's how you make $2,200 a month work. You have a $400,000 down payment, right? I mean, we, you know, you can kind of just, it's that reality check of like, hey, where do you want it? It goes back to what you said earlier. Now you can say, hey, if you're not buying for a year, you can get your truck paid off. Let's get that truck paid off because now you can afford a $2,600 or $2,800 payment and you can move into that neighborhood, which goes right back to starting sooner than later. Right, Nate? Yeah. I mean, or, yeah. Josh? The, we're, one thing that I always like to, to point out to people is if we don't and we don't live in the same area, if Nathan, James and I all lived in the same town, we worked for the same company, we did the same job, we both made the, all made the same salary, we still wouldn't be comfortable with the same monthly payment. We may have different kids. We may have a different lifestyle. One of us may want to go out and eat steak dinners every night while the other one makes PB&Js at home. That vastly changes, even though on paper, on the top line, it all looks similarly. And even to a lender or an underwriter going through and saying, hey, yes, you can qualify for that. You might know in reality the way you spend money that does not allow you to have that much to allocate for a payment. So what I always like to say is it is critical because most people don't 
have a really good handle on where their money goes. Engineers who use uh, Quicken and go through and have everything and they have their little pie charts and they know, but 95% of people don't know. What you can do is with your credit cards, with your bank account, you can go back and do a 90-day download, get an Excel spreadsheet, dump it all in, throw it in Google Sheets. You don't have to pay for Excel for this and just go through it for like 90 days. Finlocker is is a great tool for that. It's a great tool. It's got so many great budgeting tools in there, tracking where your money's going. I mean, it's just, it's a great tool and it's free for, for every member. So, I mean, get in there. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can't overstate the importance of that. If you're going to make the biggest purchase of your life and take on the biggest debt of your life, which for 99.9% of homeowners, it is both of those. You owe it to yourself to do a little bit of the work, use some of the tools available and and pull that information together. Um, where I would love to go with this, guys, is that initial conversation above and beyond, not when someone just calls up and say, hey, we're thinking about buying in a year or so. I had a couple of questions and we answer those questions. If someone is literally sitting down saying, I just reached out to you. I found Nathan, I found you on the vetted VA map. I want to get pre-approved. What does that initial conversation look like? What should the veteran expect to go through with a loan officer on call number one? Um, you know, the first, the first call is like, it's that, it's that introduction, right? It's, um, you know, finding out, we're going to ask, you know, what timeline, right? Is, is usually typically going to be my first question, right? We're like, okay, how, how soon are we looking to go? Because, I mean, we all have those calls where it's like, oh, I already found a house. <laughs> okay, well, then we're going to do the rapid version of this. Um, I need you to go to my website right now and start, get started. But uh, it's going to be a lot of discovery, right? What what are you looking to do? What's your timeline? Um, where are you buying? What do you want? What what are you? And probably the most important question is what are your primary concerns? What are you like, you know, what are those burning questions that you have or that number one concern that you think is going to be a roadblock for you? Because that's, you know, uh, you can get into the application, you can start asking questions about, okay, where do you work? How long you been there? Well, you know, what's going on? But like you were saying earlier, you, you got to tell us the story, right? We need to know what's going on. And so nine out of 10 times, I, I think the, the most revealing question that I ask is, hey, what are you worried about with this, with this process? Um, and, that, and that's incredibly helpful for, yeah. for your loan officer. What, what I was going to say is there's two pieces to the conversation. One is fielding questions. And I, I kind of like to start with that because they will answer a lot of the questions that I was going to ask. So if I can say, what questions do you have for me before we get started? And what are your goals and objectives in terms of price of a home, monthly payment, and a borrower will get comfortable and start talking and asking you questions. And you guys are, are I'm sure, are experiencing the same thing. And I probably have 50% of my questions answered before I even start asking questions at that point, because by the borrower asking their questions, telling where, where they're going, what their thoughts, their concerns are, like you said, what is, what's the potential landmine? What's the thing you're worried about? What's your biggest concern really tells us a, a lot about what that process is going to look like. And then what I would say the, the second piece of it, like you're saying, I don't know. And I guess this is a really good question for either one of you. Do you guys ever take an application with the borrower over the phone where you're going through all the demographic details? What's your date of birth? How long have you lived here? Any of that stuff? Or does that all get done with an online application? I'd say probably one in 10. I'll take over the phone. Um, but for the most part, most, most, uh, most clients are, you know, they're savvy enough. It's, it's so quick. They can do it on their phone. I mean, we all have all of our, you know, uh, application systems are all so advanced now. It's, it's not like, you know, the old Calix. <laughs> Sorry to anybody who's actually still using Calix. My, my condolences, but, um, I mean, they can do everything right here with the, with the phone, right? It's. Yep. How about you, James? Are, are Midwestern borrowers any different than, uh, than our people out here on the West coast or pretty much you're going through the big details and the little granular background demographic stuff they're going to handle with an online application. Uh, we actually are probably a little bit higher than what you guys are seeing out West because some people just don't trust. They want, I've had a, I had a veteran who would not do it online just the other day and drove here two hours to bring their documents because they would not upload them. And we did an old fashioned, old school deal. And, you know, it was an older veteran, didn't trust the system, which is fine. 
but I would say ni- almost 90% of them will do it online. But if you don't want to, that's okay. We'll do it over the phone. We'll do it in person, whatever you prefer. Um, we'll meet you where you're at. It's important that we just meet you where you're at for your comfort level. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's two pieces to it, not just the application guys. I'm I'm sure you guys are using, whether it's a like a secure upload, like OneDrive, something like that, or a true point of sale system where the borrower has a portal and can upload to. Um, yeah. Would you say same thing? Probably 80, 90% of the documentation you're receiving is coming through some type of secure portal. But- it's secure and it's encrypted. That's how we do it. Because it's private data. We're held accountable to higher standards. So we have to do that. So yeah. it's super important that the borrower knows that their stuff is secure and it's encrypted and it's safe to do that. And despite despite all of that, there are definitely there are just people who are not comfortable with it. Younger, older, they just hey, I don't I don't like that. I want to bring it to your office and yep. hand it to you. Which and the crazy okay. thing is that that may be less secure because I have to digitize it. I now you've given me paper. So for me, it's going to go, I see you've got a scan snap over there, James. I've got my scan snap right here. It's going to go through there. And my preference is to hand it back to you before you leave. I'm going to digitize it. It goes into a secure system. When I leave my desk, I have to lock my computer. This all comes back to Graham Leach Bliley. We are literally required by the law to to secure all of your non-public information. So any non-public information that we have, it it can't sit in a desk. It can't sit in a folder. Your credit report cannot sit on someone's desk. But in terms of just gathering of what that process looks like when you're getting started and you're getting pre-approved, you're probably going to do an online application. You're probably going to securely upload your documentation. But if not, you, you should, whoever you're working with should be flexible enough to work however you are comfortable. Whether it's a borrower who just doesn't like technology, doesn't trust technology, or here in Southern California, I have a lot of borrowers who have limited English proficiency. It is easier for them to sit across the table and have that conversation with me. That's definitely a small percentage of our borrowers, but whatever it takes to gather the information and get it done accurately and comfortably, because that really, that sets the the tone for your entire file of having a complete and accurate application with all of that supporting documentation is the most important thing that we can do up front. And just to follow up on that and to let everybody know, when it comes to the documentation, I promise you, we are not curious. <laughs> we are not just, oh, I want to see what this looks like. Or I wonder about, we. if we ask for it, it's because we absolutely, we have to have it. For the most part, most of these documents, they are non-negotiable. Your version, your redacted version, whatever you, like this, this is something we run into a lot where it's just like, hey, I understand we have to know everything. <laughs> so when we ask for something, it, it's, it's, it's required. It's not, it's not just out of like, oh, let's see if we can get, I forget what the show was, but there was like, um, oh no, it's uh, guardians of the galaxy. Right. We were just watching it where he's like, uh, sorry, my daughter here is joining us where uh, um, star Lord wants, or the, uh, you know, rocket asked, Oh, and I need that guy's leg. We don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> So not only do we not ask for information that we don't need, my my objective is to be um, 100% accurate and to get as much of it as upfront as possible. I don't want to have to come back to you for pieces of information throughout the process. So in that first conversation, once we've answered all of your questions, the primary purpose of my questions is to figure out what are we going to need so I can give you one short detailed list that if you provide that we're 90% done with collecting everything up front. And the most important thing I can already speak for, for both of you guys. We both, we've all three of us have done this long enough. There's nothing in there interesting to me. I've seen so many W2s, so many pay stubs, so many credit reports. It's like your doctor, like you go in and you're like, Oh, my wound is all filled with pus. It's disgusting. Doctor's seen 9,000 of them. He doesn't care. He's going to fix it up one way or the other. There's really nothing there that's going to upset us, bother us, make us think less of you. We have a job. You've given us your marching orders or saying, I would like to buy a house. And now how do we translate your qualifications into the best financing to make that possible for you? We do have a couple of good questions here. I told these folks we'd circle back to them. So let's let's get back into this. Um, just Be Yourself says, I've been running my own business for just over a year. 
when can I use my income for qualification purposes? Is it when I file my taxes? And I'm sure you guys are going to actually have some questions. I hope they're still here because there's a, a few more pieces of information we need to fully accurately answer that. But you want to take a stab at it, James? Sure. Short version is yes, you have to claim that income on your taxes and either pay the tax man and you get a mortgage or you don't pay the tax man, you don't get a mortgage because I know you can write lots of stuff off, but we have to be able to qualify. And if you're self-employed, we need to see that Schedule C. If you're a sole proprietor, we need, if you have a subchapter S corporation or an LLC or whatever, however that, whatever entity you are, you have to claim enough money to qualify on your taxes. There are certain things we can add back into the equation, like depreciation, a Section 179 deduction. It's a little bit more complicated. Once again, it takes me right back to talk to a vetted VA professional before <laughs> you file your taxes, because we can say, hey, you tell your accountant, your net income's got to be X. So you might not be able to take all those deductions this year. But if you want to get to that house, then you got to follow my directions. Because too many times you'll come to me after you do your taxes. I'm like, sorry, you wrote too much off and we can't help you. So talk to your better VA professional before you file those returns. And we'll walk you through what you need to budget for. And how about actually just, I just ran into this and I'm, I want to pull up the guideline because uh, the, you know, the, I think the second part of this question might be, he's only been in business for just over a year. Does he have to be in business for two years? And with most loans, the standard answer is yes. You know, Fannie and Freddie actually have, uh, or I think it's Fannie has a little bit of a leeway on there with one year, uh, depending on what they've done previously. But the VA loan actually is one of the few that it, it's in the guideline. It, it specifically says it at, as long as, you know, one thing I love about it is it's the only guideline out there that tells the underwriters to do everything they can to approve this loan, right? I mean, there's literally a guideline that says it, but there is a, um, it's in chapter 12 and I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to misquote it <laughs> because like you say, accountability, I can't be on here. <laughs> we got a bunch of people well, watching. Hey, the wrong so we, we have a couple of other questions. So why don't you dig that up and we'll, yeah. James and I will jump through and answer these questions. So, um, James, we've got a simple one for you. VA funding fee. If 100% disabled, is one exempt if they've previously used their VA loan? Are they? I got great they, news. Yes, you're exempt. And you only need to be, for those of you who are not 100%, 10%. If you're 10% you're or greater, you're exempt from the VA funding fee. And the, the big part is where that comes into is on subsequent use. If you're doing zero down on a subsequent use, after the Blue Water Act a couple of years ago, that subsequent use got jacked up and it is oh, yeah. big. I mean, you're not writing a check for it, but it is getting added into your loan and it's your future appreciation that's going to go towards paying that off. So any, that yeah, also, any disability rating is um, going to be great in that situation. And some uh, Purple Heart recipients are also correct. So actually, did, did you find it yet, Nathan? If not, we um, got I'm more looking. questions. I had the wrong we, we, I, I, my chapters mixed we up. We're good. We got a good chunk of questions it. tonight. <laughs> Just so the people who are watching know, Finlocker, it, on the website, it's called the Go Bay. It's powered by the subcompany called Finlocker. But when you go to our website, you click for oh. veterans, it's going to say Go Bay. So that's where they go for that tool, the financial tool. If you, James, if you have the link there, you can throw it in the chat and it should. I was trying to it. and I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> So I don't know all, why I, I would just then I'll, I'll dig over once Nathan finds his and, and starts going back through that. I'll, I'll jump in and find the link and post it for you guys. Cause it is a really cool tool available to you it at no cost here. Yes, we actually, so here there's a couple of, of interesting parts. So just be yourself back with some more questions. If I purchase a multi-unit property, live in one unit, can I use the existing rental income from the other units for qualification? Even if I have no prior property management experience. That for me does that yeah does that does that come up very often for for you james i with the va i, I do very few uh multifamily two to four units but it, it is a possibility and it does come up um and that is in the guidelines that they want you to have property management experience if we're if we're going to use the rents to qualify that is correct you have to have prior experience or you have to have a management company to manage the property so would you say that's the most common workaround is someone says, hey, yes. at, at the start here, I'm going to hire a property management company. Yeah. Here's my, it might my cost leases. You 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month. It's worth the penny because you can create wealth using the VA home loan benefit. And if you start by using multi-unit properties, you can create a lot of wealth. I've helped a lot of people do that. But you know what? So maybe you're not, you, it costs you a couple hundred bucks every month. But look at the long term. Real estate's a long term play. You don't get hurt with dirt and you create more wealth through real estate than almost any other vehicle out there. So I want to encourage people, don't be short sighted on this. 
Just do it the way the VA says it. It's for your protection and their protection as well. And long term, it's going to play out really well for you. Yeah, I, w- I wish they would allow it instead of having like the TAPS class when when uh, you know the, when the active duty when they're leaving. I wish they would have a have us come in for a class right when they like right after they get out of boot camp. And be like, hey, by the way, here's <laughs> here's how to set yourself up for a really amazing retirement. Yeah. Did you find I it? I did anything? find it. What do we <laughs> so, got? Uh, it's chapter four, uh, 4.2. And it basically, you know, what it's a generally income for self-employment is considered stable when the borrower has obtained such income for at least two years. Less than two years cannot usually be considered stable unless the borrower has had previous related employment or specialized training. Less than one year can rarely qualify. However, in-depth development is required for a conclusion of stable income on less than one year cases. This uh, right here, I mean, it goes right back to why do you want to get started with us as early as possible? Because these are the, you know, these are the the nuances to the VA loan. You know, I've, I've seen it out there where people are just hand, like, they just, you know, put a rubber stamp on, nope, you got to be employed for two years. Uh, no, not necessarily. And I have gotten a veteran that was in business for less than a year uh, approved and was able to use the income that he had from his self-employment because, and, you know, the backstory on this is he had actually worked in a, president role with another company doing the exact same thing for like 10 years. And then he went out on his own and did his own thing. And, and with that back in with that story, by getting the letter of explanation, LOE for people who uh, I make sure the illiterate people out there using LOX are aware of the proper way to say it. Anyway, easy. I'm an LOX. <laughs> it's okay. Like, James, it, explanation, you just, can get it done. James, just cause you're wrong and, and partially illiterate, we're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> So just be yourself actually had one more question. Actually, before we get to that question, kind of what I wanted to say, Nathan, that is probably the best example of a guideline that shows both the flexibility that the VA has in terms of trying to put veterans in a good position. They want to approve your loan as long as they don't believe it's putting you at undue risk. So if we can make a case to show why that is good income likely to recur, they're going to do that. What I will also say is I've probably talked to five borrowers in the last 10 years who were in a similar situation and were just told no. I mean, the answer might be no, but a lot of people who are not familiar with VA loans don't know the flexibilities, don't, maybe they're not a broker and have access to multiple different underwriting sources. They will just look at it and go, no, no, it says two years. And they don't read the full detail of the guideline, two years, unless you can do this or this or this. So it is important to be working with someone that that knows the guidelines, is willing to dig into the guidelines, read them, understand them. Um, this wasn't necessarily a VA loan, but I had a situation today. Uh, I have a woman that's wanting to do cash out on a loan for her mother owns the property. She's a power of attorney. So I actually sent that out to about 12 different AEs today. Some of them, their companies, and by AE, meaning account executive as a broker, we that's sort of our liaison between the lender and, and us. And I threw that out there and four or five of them came back and said, our company policy doesn't allow that. Three or four of them came back and said, you cannot do that. One or two of them came back, did just what Nathan did, sent me the guideline, marked it up and said, here's where you fall. We will be able to do this. Two out of 12 came back with the right answer. So it's important that you're going to sources that will do that legwork and do that research for you. So this one actually relates back to our topic last week uh, of talking about bonus entitlement or secondary entitlement. Just be yourself says, can I split my entitlement among three different properties if I have some remaining and I'll let you guys take this, but the, the answer really is a, yeah, but in, in theory you can do it, but it's how are you going to go about doing it? I see the smile on your face, Nathan, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's the, the intention and how, how you are going to do it. Can like the mechanics of it, can your entitlement be split among three properties? Absolutely. 100% it can. Um, as long as you have, you know, depending on the cost of those properties, you lived in the first one for, you know, as your primary residence. And then later on, you bought the second and then lived in that one as your primary residence. And then, you know, the third one, you still had, you know, hopefully, I guess you're buying houses in like Southern Missouri or something, but you can, you know, you're, you can just keep stacking them. Um, so yes, you, you could in that sense. But I, I, I mean, it, once again, this would be like the spirit of the question, uh, makes me lean towards kind of the uh, the house hacking 
that you keep hearing people talk about. And you, could you buy three properties at the same time and use your, no, you absolutely could not. Yeah, the VA loan is intended for your primary residence that you are going to live in only. Probably the best example I can give you of a legitimate way to do this is Randy Teakle was on with us last week while we were going through secondary entitlement. He had a client who used his entitlement to buy five homes VA. He bought one, the cheapest home possible at every duty station he was at. And two, three years later, he gets moved and he buys another 130, 140,000 house. So every one of those was his primary residence. He was being moved, not by his own choice, but moved to a new area. And he used a tiny little bit of entitlement. He had enough to get five homes with zero down. I, there are probably not five people in the United States of America who've been able to do that. But Randy, of course, had the one who actually pulled it off. So we have a couple of more questions here. Aha. This is actually a vetted VA question related to the map. If we live in one state but plan to move to another state, which state's loan officer should we reach out to? Um, and my answer to this was you, you need the person that you're working with to be licensed in the state that you're getting the loan. Now, that being said, a lot of people on the map are licensed in a, a lot of states. Are either of you gentlemen licensed? Well, James, I know you're you're in a bunch of states. Nathan, are you just in Colorado or are you licensed in multiple states? Uh, multiple so the, the reality is most everyone on that map is licensed in multiple states. They may not be in the map in every state, but the problem would be is if you find someone in California that is only licensed in California, you find them on the map, but you're trying to buy in Texas, they're not licensed in Texas, not going to help you at all. So probably the easy answer there is, is reach out to someone on the map in the state that you are moving to, unless you knew that someone in the state that you're in is also licensed in the state that you are moving to. That would be our normal vetted VA protocol. When you go to the map, you call somebody in the map you're moving to. So, and if, if, if and the reason I would I would recommend that as well is simply because agents, right? Luckily for loan officers, it's a lot easier for us, right? If you're licensed in Colorado, I can work from in all four corners of Colorado, right? You're in you're in Wisconsin, you're in California. You you cover you can live in San Diego, but you can do loans in Humboldt. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't. It, we're we're not limited. Um, geographically, whereas agents, you know, if, a, if an agent is licensed here in Colorado, now technically they can, you know, as long as they have access to MLS, they can work, you know, in an agent here in Denver is here in Denver. They're not necessarily going to be able to help you out in Durango, unfortunately, right? They, they, it's just, it's it's seven hours away. <laughs> so you're, you're going to want, so I always recommend when you're moving to a state, the, the advantage for finding a, a lender in that state is they can then actually introduce you. If, if vetted VA doesn't have an agent, luckily here in Colorado, we have several. Um, we're, we're pretty lucky there, but I know there's some states that don't have any. Wisconsin. Um, we don't have any Wisconsin. Yeah. If somebody calls me, I will only work with people who I would personally want inside vetted VA. So that way, at least they know they're dealing with somebody who understands the VA loan, the strength and the power of the VA loan and has knowledge. So I'm accountable in VA. We are, if there's not a real estate agent on the map, we refer you, we're accountable for who we refer them to. That's part of our gig of being a member of VA. So you're safe with that. Good point. And I'll call, I'll call the agents that are here. Right. I mean, I recently just had this happen. I had someone that buying down in Durango and I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not in Durango, so I don't, I'm not building a community there. I don't have agents. So what I did is I reached out to Dallas Hidalgo, who's one of the vetted VA realtors. And I said, Hey man, who do you got? And who do you know in Durango? Because the one thing realtors have referral networks, right? It doesn't work in the broker world that way, but realtors, you know, they, they are able to refer clients and I'm going to use the professionals in vetted VA, the realtors in vetted VA to do the vetting in a place that I'm not familiar with. We are coming up here uh, 52 minutes. We like to keep these to about an hour. I think we've covered pretty well what someone, a veteran, considering buying home, where they should start, what kind of timeline they're looking at, what they can expect throughout the process. The only thing we didn't do much detail on is what type of documentation should you be expecting to provide? Um, this is fairly uh, simple and straightforward for, for most borrowers. James, if we have an employed borrower, not self-employed, looking to buy their first residence or their next residence, they only own one home, what documentation do you need them to be prepared with when they're ready to get fully pre-approved? Well, we need your we need your LES if you're still active, all right? If you're not, 
and you've separated, then we're going to need your W-2. We're going to need your 30 days of check stubs because there's this thing called variable income and sometimes it's all over the board and overtime and all that stuff. So we need a little broader picture than just one pay stub. We like to get 30 days worth of pay stubs to do the financial analysis on that. And that's the biggest thing that I find is people don't really even understand how much money they make. They're like, yeah, I make around this. And then we get into their pay stubs, not even close to what they said. <laughs> so that's part of calling us in advance so we can properly prepare you. So we go through your LES or we go through your stuff as a civilian and we can walk through that and break it down and realize well child support is a payment you know if you're paying child support if you're paying maintenance that's a payment so we want to and how long are you paying the child support for so that's a big part of the financial picture is just understanding your income not just yeah i make 25 bucks an hour there's more to it than that and we need to dig in that that is the one thing that i see the most mistakes on is people don't understand the complexity of the pay stuffs today with variable income shift differential income all kinds of crazy things, different BAH. If you're moving from San Diego and you're going to, you know, Scott Air Force Base down in Illinois, it's going to be different. So that's the kind, or you're going to South Dakota, it's going to be different. So those are the things that we want to get ahead of right up front. That That's a fun one that you can get caught in with an inexperienced loan officer or a loan officer inexperienced with VA, someone relocating from, from one station to another with a very different BAH. And you yeah. find out late in the process that it's going down and not going up and it can bite you. And it, we laugh, but it happens often enough that we hear it about it here in the group that someone is called in late in the game to try and save the day on a situation that otherwise uh, appears hopeless. Nathan, how would that change if we have a self-employed borrower? What additional documentation? Obviously, if you're active duty, you're not uh, going to be self-employed, but you may have a spouse that has a, a business that they're running. So if we have a self-employed borrower um, or I guess someone with, with other properties, rental properties, uh, how does that change the documentation you need to see? Uh, well, we're going to need the tax returns, uh, full tax returns for two years, all pages, all schedules. There's, there's, don't leave anything out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just, I, 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 that's, that is one of the, uh, you know, when it comes to self-employed, one of the things that I, I do ask for is, you know, over documentation. So get the, get the two years returns, get the year to date PNL, um, you know, get, we need everything. <laughs> right. And even if it, and if you have a, a subchapter S corp, a limited liability partnership, an LLC tax, like an S corp. So if you have an 1120, 1120S, 1165, we need all that return and the personal 1040 returns. We don't need the state returns, but we need the full federal and the yep. full business federal returns that you file as well. And how about when we get to assets? So VA loan, you're not required to put a down payment. If we have a lender or credit, Seller credit, you could get in with absolutely no money out of pocket, but what do we need to be gathering from the borrower in terms of asset statements, whether it's bank, retirement, 401k, any of that stuff, what do we need? We want that, and I'll start and I'll let Nathan finish. The reason we want that is because if you have a lower credit score, you can still get a VA loan. But there will be compensating factors that they're going to look at. And if it goes to what's called a manual underwrite versus an automated underwrite, now they're going to want to see, do you got any cash? Like, we want to make sure you can at least make a payment or two. So that is important that we get asset documentation up front. Even though you don't need any money down on a VA loan, there's still expenses that got to be paid. You got to pay for miscellaneous things. And if, if there's a lender credit, okay, great. But sometimes in a manual underwrite, we still have to have some cash in the bank, and we need to verify that. Yeah. Yeah, and, nothing to add there. That's and most times the the borrower is going to make a deposit, so there's there is money there that needs to be tracked and and managed through that process. So most likely you're at least going to come up with a couple months of of statements. We talked about the COE; that's probably the most important thing. But your lender can help you with that. Um, We've covered a lot of ground. We had some really yeah. good questions tonight. So thank you to the audience for. Uh, sometimes it feels like we're uh, we're just uh, preaching to the empty. Of, vast empty space out there. But tonight we had five, six uh, really good questions to answer. So I appreciate you guys for that. Um, before we wrap up, Nathan, anything additional you wanted to share on this topic of where to get started or just in general uh, advice for veteran buyers? Um, you know, I wanted to actually tell like a quick little story with James was saying, you know, 
don't tell us how much you make, but we want to see it. Right. And there's a reason for that. I actually, I, one of my favorite stories ever is I had a gal that I was doing a loan for, um, told me over the phone that she made about $72,000 a year. The best news I could have ever given anybody is after she sent me her pay stubs, I let her know she actually makes about $98,000 a year. So it, it goes both ways. Sometimes people underreport, sometimes people overreport. But if I were going to leave everybody here with anything, it would just be, if you know you want to buy, start today. Don't wait, get, get started. Because whether you're two years out, six months out, 90 days out, um, the sooner you get started, the easier it's going to make every every part of that process. Any last words of wisdom, James? Yes, I want to just share this with you, okay? First of all, this is recorded. So many of you who watched it or came in late, it is re it will be posted and it's recorded and share it with other people that you know that are thinking about this because it's, you know, we want to educate you and empower you to make good financial decisions. Next thing I would like to share with you is we are different. Better VA is not, a, we're, we're all, we all work for different companies here. So we come together in a collaborative effort to help you make the best choices and decisions you can. And we are going to debunk the myths out there, especially by a lot of the big box national lenders who might have extra rules applied to VA loans. You won't get that here. The training is second to none. The accountability is second to none. And I just want to share with you, this is a safe place to ask questions. No questions, a dumb question. Start early, like Nathan said. Ask often. Research. This is the biggest financial decision you're ever going to make. And you cannot ask us anything that we're going to say, oh, my God, are you kidding me? We want any and every question you got so we can serve you. We want to help serve those people who protect this great nation so we can be here and our kids can go to schools and we can enjoy the privileges of living in this great country. And part of that is we want you to own the land that you defend. And we're going to help you do that. I think that's a good place to wrap up there. Again, thanks to both of you gentlemen for being here tonight. Thanks to all of you watching, asking good questions here. Hope you got some good value out of it. We will be back next Tuesday with another group of experts to uh, walk you through the details and answer all your questions. Have a great night, everybody.